press that little button until the green light comes on. And then they'll hang, can you grab it? Here we go, 10 seconds. Uh, grab the sheet. Okay. 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 Good luck. Okay, thank you. Three, two, one. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to Serious Security Seminar. Uh, today it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Omar uh, Chidori. Uh, he's uh, currently a postdoc uh, in my group. Uh, before joining Purdue, he was a postdoc at uh, CMU. Uh, and before that, he received his uh, PhD in computer science from University of Texas uh, in San Antonio. Uh, working under the supervision of uh, um, the late Professor Will Winsborough, who was a very good friend uh, with me, and we collaborated on uh, many papers before. Um, and Omar worked on a, a large range of areas. Today he will talk about uh, regulatory compliance. Okay. Thank you for the introduction. Thank you. So, hello everybody. So, I am going to talk a little bit about uh, regulatory compliance checking over encrypted audit logs. Uh, and this is a joint work uh, with my colleague uh, at uh, Carnegie Mellon University, Anupam Datta Limanjia, and uh, my other co colleague from Max Planck Institute of Software Systems, uh, Deepak Garg. Okay, so before I start uh, talking about what I'm gonna talk today, I wanna put a little bit of disclaimer. So when I use the word regulatory compliance, I use it in a kind of more relaxed fashion. So regulatory compliance, in the, at least in the U.S. federal judiciary system, uh, is the final say uh, is by the judge. So a lawyer or a like, normal guy like me do not know what the interpretation of the law should be. So when I so take this work with a grain of salt. So and the other thing is uh, this is our interpretation of the regulation, and we have actually verified with a lot of other computer scientists. Uh, interpretation of the regulation and they tend to match up okay so that being said uh, so I'm talking I'm going to talk about actually privacy regulations per se now we have human uh, like users of uh, internet right we share our information with a lot of organization and they in turn give us some services so example organizations are like hospitals uh, your university banks or even Google Right? And let's take one representative organization, say hospital. Now, assume Homer Simpson goes to the hospital for treatment, right? And he, he gives his personal information, like uh, date of birth, name, social security, blood group, so on and so forth, and medical records. Now, during treatment, right, uh, the hospital can send this information to a lot of other parties. For instance, uh, the Homer Simpson needs a x-ray. So all these medical records have to be sent to the lab. Now, Homer Simpson needs to be billed for that uh, visit. So all the records should be sent to the uh, health insurance so that they can verify whether the visit and the test they have done is legitimate and whether they were necessary. And finally, for medication, they should be sent to the pharmacy so that they can figure out uh, drug interaction and so on and so forth. Now, now, the obvious question is, what is stopping the hospital from selling it in a black market? So our medical records uh, go price for a black market is $32, right? So it's not very small, right? And there is a lot of patients in the hospital. If they sell uh, all of them, they can make a lot of money. 
But thank God, government has stepped in. So they have uh, a privacy regulation, which they call HIPAA. It's, uh, it stands for Health Insurance, Portability and Accountability Act. So all these interactions are under HIPAA. Like, it's regulated by HIPAA. So HIPAA basically regulates how healthcare organizations can share uh, the collected personal information from the patients. That's basically how, what it mandates. Now, as you have figured out, the first three, according to HIPAA, are allowed because they are for uh, treatment and billing and operations. And the last one is not allowed. Okay, so we're good. Now, the question is, what if we have, we violate HIPAA, an organization violates HIPAA? Now, like any regulation, violating HIPAA has serious implication. Uh, you can be prosecuted you could pay a lot of fine, okay? Now, I'll show you two example scenarios, right? Where organization or an individual violated HIPAA and they were uh, penalized with a civil money penalties. Now, the thing to look out for is the staggering amount of fines, right? It's one, in one case, it's $4.3 million, other is $1.44 million. So, violating HIPAA can have serious implication for your reputation, or even financially. Actually, in the HHS website, they have a wall of shame. It basically captures all the like uh, violating organization where they violated like more than 500 times of a HIPAA regulation. So it's bad for your reputation too. Now, to circumvent this situation, what does the uh, organizations do? They generally like capture all the privacy sensitive events in paper trail, right? And they bring in an auditor, uh, periodically, it depends on the organization, and who actually look, goes through these uh, records and analyzes the privacy policy to make a judgment call whether something is a violation or not, right? Now, as you might have imagined, this is largely a manual effort. So, and the privacy laws can be huge, like HIPAA is like 100 pages, right? And as this is a human effort, uh, it could be error prone. Like you could miss a violation or you could report something as violation and it's time consuming. Like generally four or five people comes in and does this audit. So my research agenda so far has been to improve this situation. Like try to autom autom like make this automatic a little bit, at least even not fully possible, a little bit. So one possibility is like, let go of the paper trail, put it on the database uh, so that we can search. Now, what about this regulation? We, we change it to a logic, it basically uh, so that a human can read it and analyze it. And finally, let go of the human auditor and put in an automatic compliance checker. That would take this audit record, uh, electronic disclosure records and the computer readable policy and it will tell you, okay, violation or violation. Okay, so my w existing work and my previous work has focused mainly on the policy analysis part and uh, trying to improve the state of the art of the automatic compliance checker. So the current context is a little different. Okay, uh, so let's say a hospital, right? And it has its disclosure records in a database. Now, these uh, audit logs can be very large, like from gigabytes to terabytes. Now, and with the cost effectiveness of uh, cloud, it's a viable option to actually put it in the cloud. Like use the cloud storage infrastructure 
uh, for storing the audit logs, right? Now, but the thing is like, what if the cloud gets broken into? These things are in uh, plain text, then everybody can look through it and it's bad actually. So one possibility, and the other thing is like this, audit records actually uh, stores personal information or proprietary information of the organization. So you can't just put it on the cloud with uh, plain text. So one possibility is encrypt them. Now, as you might have know that might have known that if you do semantically secure encryption, it does not leak any additional information. Now, if that is the case, how can we perform audit? It's not clear. I mean, it, it, the encrypted audit log does not leak any information. How can you perform audit? So one possibility is use homomorphic, fully homomorphic encryption. Now, but that's light, light years away from being practical. It's, it has very, very high overhead. So what we propose at this work, uh, ongoing work, is basically a specialized encryption schemes just for auditing. That's it. It, it, it doesn't give you any other functionality, just for auditing. And so, and change an existing audit algorithm, very small amount, so that it can handle uh, encrypted audit logs. Now, so what it basically takes, the algorithm is an encrypted audit log and a constant encrypted policy. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce what that is. And it responds yes and no, whether there are violations or there are no violations. Okay, so interesting research questions in this uh, arena would be, what operations over encrypted data are required to perform audit? I mean, like, if we are to perform audit, we need some operation on the encrypted data. We can't just, like, do nothing. And the other option, other question is, what kind of security assurance we can give? I mean, can we give, like, any, any assurance? So I'll try to answer the first question with a couple of examples. Say very simple example policy, which basically says every individual accessing sensitive patient information is in the role of a doctor. That's basically the, what the policy says, that anybody who's accessing the uh, patient's information should be a doctor. It's unrealistic policy, but that is, that is like, for the sake of example. Say we, our log is something like this, like you'd have a sensitive access table, which will tell you who accessed sensitive information at what time. And the other relevant table would be a role table, which basically tell which employee is in what role, right? Now, to check actually compliance, what we would need to do is basically go through the sensitive access table one row at a time and get that uh, employee name and try to figure out what his role is. So it's basically taking a join of these two tables. Uh, so it's basically taking a join of these two database tables. So, so we would need join. That's what we figured out from the first example. The second example basically says, if a patient's medical record is accessed by a billing department employee, it means that a patient might have visited the facilities in past one month. That's, that's basically what it says. And in this case, we'll have this say, relevant tables in the audit log, which basically said we should one table would keep the patient visit uh, uh, situations where it says Alice visited at time T1, Eve visited at time T2, and the medical record access time, which basically says that Alice's record was accessed by John at time TJ. And the, there is this other relevant table, it says 
uh, employee department table which basically says John's department is billing okay so the what we have to do basically is go through one row at a time from the medical record access table figure out what is Alice's visit time and what is the John's department right so what we do is like take two joints right of these three tables now say we got this this one this row this row satisfies the condition of the join now what we want to additionally check is this these two times difference is less than 31 days right so that's basically the additional information we have to be able to compare two times so to summarize what operations we basically need are okay join operation which is a specialized kind of equality checking and time step comparison it's basically checking that if you have an encrypted time and a encrypted time offset it's less than equals to another encrypted time and another offset so so before i jump into the agenda if anybody has any questions i'll be more than happy to take it it's it doesn't have to be at the end of the talk it could be anything in the middle so there is a lot of logic stuff in this work so i would like if anybody has any specific questions feel free to stop me in the middle okay so if any seems nobody has any questions so far so for the agenda to uh, today's talk so i'm first going to talk about uh, what is our policy language right how would we represent the the natural language policies so we talked about our uh, computer readable policy so what that means so what is the syntax and semantics of that and talk about the two log encryption schemes uh, we're going to introduce and an enhanced auditing algorithm it's basically enhanced for uh, handling encrypted audit logs so this this audit uh, the main algorithm was uh, for a plain text log we tweaked a little bit not too much a little bit to handle encrypted audit log okay and the next uh, thing we are going to discuss is uh, security guarantees what guarantees can it give and we're gonna then talk about some experimental results so we ran some experimental results to figure out what is the computational overhead over plain text uh, version i mean if you are to run the algorithm on the encrypted log what is the over additional overhead we have to incur and finally we'll su summarize so our policy specification logic looks like this okay so I know this is scary, but I'll, I'll run it through. I'll run run through each of them. So the first is uh, what we call atoms, uh, and the next uh, part is guard. These are building blocks. So the main policy's uh, uh, specification is on the formula part. That's how you represent policies, and the first two are building blocks that are necessary for this one. So atoms are either predicate or a table so it's a predicate so we looked at the sensitive access tables. these are table names actually you can view them as table names right then we have this other predicate which basically is checking for time right we wanted to check time and there is uh, then there is equal equality you can check whether two things are equal and the next uh, section is guard guard is a specific uh, kind of uh, formula we'll explain this in a bit Okay, 
So let's look at the formula, uh, which is basically how you represent your policies. It could be a table name. It could just be a table name, or it could be true or false, right? Or it could be a conjunction of two policies, or a disjunction of two policies, or you have quantified formula. So quantified formula, the first one, what you have to read is, for all x that satisfies g, also satisfy this phi. That's how it's read. The second uh, formula basically reads, there exists uh, x for which if it satisfies g, it also satisfies phi. So the first uh, one is called universal quantification. The second one is called existential quantification. So you can see the relation that universal basically says for all x, something has to be satisfied. For existential, it basically says there should be at least one, one instance for which the formula should be satisfied. Okay, now let's look at some example policies. So we'll take an example policy from GLBA, which is uh, the full form is Graham-Leach-Blaley Act. It's for financial organizations. Okay, say the re uh, regulation basically says is a financial organization can share a customer's non-public information. Non-public information means your account number, your social security number, your credit score possibly. Uh, with a non-affiliate, if either a privacy notice has been sent to the customer within the last 30 days or a privacy notice will be sent within the next 30 days of the disclosure. That's basically what the regulation says. Now let's look at the scary part. Okay, so this is how it's represented uh, in the logic. Okay, so basic, I'll, I'll try to like go through each of them. It's not very difficult once I explain to you. So it basically says, if P1 is sending P2 a message M at time T, so that's the first part, right? Uh, it's basically said P1 is sending P2 a message M at time T, and the message is tagged as Q's attribute T, A, implies that uh, P1 is an organization, financial organization. P2 is not an affiliate of P1 at, according to time T. Q is a customer, and the attribute is a non-public information, right? And the next part basically says a privacy notice has been sent uh, within the last 30 days, or a privacy notice will be sent within the next 30 days, so in future. So that's basically what the regulation looks like in the logic. Okay, so hopefully that's the end of the logic part. You're not going to see a lot about this anymore. Okay, so our audit log encryption schemes are, there are two. So we call them Enumia, Debt, and KH. So Enumia is the Greek goddess of uh, laws and regulation for human society. So that's how the name came, came to life. So, right, so we're going to talk, so each of them have, uh, each of the uh, encrypt, encryption schemes have their relative advantage and disadvantages. Okay, so now let's walk through them. The first one says, uh, the deterministic one uses, Enumia that uses deterministic encryption. So deterministic encryption is basically an encryption scheme that if you take the same key and the same message, you're going to always generate the same ciphertext. That's it. For Enumia KH uses keyed hash. That's, that's how the name keyed hash. So it's basically a hash function that additionally takes a key. It's the 
enumerated is less flexible. So you encrypt the log for a fixed policy. After that, you can't change the policy. That's that's fixed. So it's less flexible. For KH, however, it's more flexible. Once you encrypt it, you can check any policy. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, for enumerated debt, you have less computational overhead over plain text. Uh, whereas for KH, you have more overhead. Like it takes more time. Okay. And for the enumerated debt, the log size has moderate space overhead, not too much. Whereas the enumerated cache has huge uh, uh, space overhead. I'll, I'll tell you why. It's very simple. It's not rocket science actually. And the enumerated debt has less secure, right? And its security is proved on a random oracle model. Uh, and it's sometimes called a heuristical model. And for enumerated cache is more secure. It's the security is proved on the standard model. So as you can see, each of them has their trade-offs. If you want more efficiency, you'll go for enumerated debt. If you want more security, you'll go for enumerated cache. So it depends on your application scenario. There is no like, like last word that you have to choose this or that. It depends on your application scenario. Now let's look at how we would encrypt using enumerated debt. It's very, as I mentioned, this is very simple. I mean, there is no like rocket science in it. So let's say we have these two tables in the uh, audit log, right? The sensitive access table and the role table. So basically what it says is every column would be deterministically encrypted with a different key, except we have two restrictions. The first restriction is any two columns that are going to be joined together, they're going to share the same key. That's, that's one thing. That's how you check equality or take a join. And the time, any uh, column that has time, you will encrypt it with a special key. It's called K time, right? It's a special, every, every time would be encrypted with the same key, K time. And all the other columns would be encrypted with any other key. So each can be encrypted with a unique key, okay? So that's basically, it. that's how you do it with uh, Enumia Dead, right? So, as you have noticed, I, this actually ena enables you to check uh, join. I did not mention uh, about ordering, checking order of the time. So that's, I, I'm going to leave it for a little bit later. It's a little tricky, but it's not that difficult. So Enumia KH is a special, like uses a special keyed hash. So it's not like a traditional keyed hash you would see in your literature, right? So it has a special property, so I'm, I'm going to talk about it. So it's a, like any other keyed hash, it's a deterministic encryption. It takes a value, it takes a key, it outputs a keyed hash value, right? That's basically what it does. Say you have two values, u and v, and they are taken uh, keyed hash with respect to uh, keys k1 and k2 respectively, and you would get like h1 and h2. Right now, if the keys are equal, you can actually check equality of UV just by checking whether H1 equals to H2. Right, that's basically it. But that's not the interesting case. The interesting case is the other case, where is case K1 is not equal to K2. Then how can you check equality between two elements? So, so basically, how this uh, keyed hash works is 
anybody who has K1 and K2 access to those two keys can generate a token, uh, Delta K1 to K2, right? So what it basically allows you to do is like, if you have uh, keyed hash of U with K1 and this transfer key, you can actually generate the keyed hash of uh, U with K2, right? Then you can basically check whether uh, it's equal to the uh, keyed hash of VK2. That's basically it. So that's, that's the special property. Now, so this is more simpler. This is basically for each of these columns, you would have a unique key. Every column of the table, of each table, unique key. You'll encrypt using unique key. But whenever you're gonna take a joins between two columns, you're gonna generate this uh, transfer keys, right? This transfer key, so that lets you transfer uh, from one column to another. Now, we're gonna talk a little bit about how we're gonna encrypt each individual value, right? So say we are trying to encrypt uh, the value V with key K, right? That's our goal. So the ciphertext would be a pair. The first part would be the keyed hash version uh, with that key. And the second part is a probabilistic encryption. It could be any encryption, AES, whatever. As long as it's semantically secure, you can use it. So that's, so one value becomes a pair, right? Hence the high overhead high space overhead we talked about, that KH has high space overhead, right? And additionally, this keyed hash is a lot longer than the normal plain text value. So that's that's how the overhead comes. And for encrypting timestamps, uh, we, we have been talking about timestamps, right? Uh, and we're gonna somehow check their order because that's what's necessary for our policies. So what we're gonna do basically is go through the log, pick out all the unique timestamps, all the unique timestamps, and encrypt it with the special key we talked about, k time, right? And add it to the specific data structure. I'll talk about this data structure in a bit. So it's, this data structure will let you, so if you take two encrypted uh, timestamps, it will tell you whether what is the order of them because that's basically what we need for our policy checking. So, we have, I have been talking about this constant encrypted policies, right? So I, I told you guys that I was gonna introduce that. So that's, let's see an example. So this is the example policy, right? So don't worry, I'm not gonna run it through it. If you see, there are actually uh, constants in this policy, right? Now, so this institution, this NPI that's 0, 30. Now, all my information in the log are encrypted, but I have here is plain text. So I can't actually check plain text with an encryption. I can't just search them like that. So what I do, this is just plain, just for uh, functional reasons, is encrypt this constants too. So instead of giving this policy, I'll give this constant encrypted policy where this uh, encryptions are like uh, constants are all encrypted and this the only difference is this time offset uh, constants where it appears in the time order are encrypted with the k time key that's basically what we have so far okay questions
no question so far okay well and good so now we're going to talk about this like magical data structure that we have been talking about for comparing timestamps okay so it's called mopad data structure okay so what are the functionalities so the functionality is you can pick any two uh, encrypted timestamps from the log and pick any two constants uh, distance uh, constant offset uh, from the policy and what you basically want to check is the value of this time order whether this this thing holds that is uh, t1 plus d1 is less than equal to t2 plus d2 now t1 and d1 are this plain text version of et1 and ed1 it's basically the plain text value okay so what you basically want to do is check this t check this uh, t1 plus d1 is less than equal to t2 plus d2 that's basically what you want to do now so what we basically do is you take all the unique timestamps from the log and you take all the unique uh, time offset constants so you add t and t plus di in the data structure that's what you do for all time you do that for all unique time you do that once that is done now we can we are ready to query so the data structure looks something like this uh, it's not very like it's not very difficult to understand what it does okay so there are other data supporting data structure but these two data structures are very simple so the first one basically says uh, so it says et17 so et1 is a encrypted time right and you can view this as a hash table where the key is this encrypted timestamps now the the value 7 what that does that mean so what it means is if you were to use like decrypt all these uh, encrypted timestamps right you put it in a array and you sort them right instead of these encrypted timestamps you just take the plain text timestamps you put it in an array you sort them right for each time it will have a position in the array like say like number two number three seven something and then what you do is like do a reverse map now you keep that et1 is the encrypted time and seven is the position of the plain text time that's that's what you keep keep a map of it's it's in a hash table the next thing basically says is et4 ed1 so these are the two keys and the vet and the value is the et3 d d1 so what it basically means is if you add this et4 and ed1 you'll get a time et3 d1 so because we don't like our encryption does not allow us to add so we have to keep this uh mapping explicitly there is no way we could calculate addition now okay so let's say we have a query say et1 ed1 et2 ed2 and we want to know whether uh, et1 plus ed1 is less than equal to et2 plus ed2 now the first thing we're going to do is like use this uh, guy uh, this pair et1 ed1 as a key and we are gonna search it in the second uh, data structure the one on your right right say we found it so we found this entry and we have this value et1 d1 that basically means is if i add this encrypted time t1 and encrypted uh, encrypted offset d1 
the time I will the if encryption would be ET1 and D1. Now, what I would look use that as the key to look for the uh, left data structure, and we'll get the position 13. That means it's like in the sorted array, it's in position 13. I do the same for ET2 and ED2 and get the position 57. Now that the 13 is less than equal to 57, I can uh, safely say that my response to this query is true. Any questions? This can be a little tricky. So, so the tricky part is the first part, is the data structure on the left. It basically keeps a mapping of, so think of the array positions as uh, you take all the times, encrypted times, in the in your data structure, you decrypt them, right? You put in an array and you sort them, right? Uh, now, replace each uh, plain text value with this encryption. Then the mapping you'll get that is basically this ET1 and 7, right? That's basically it, okay? Because like, uh, this is the plain text underlying plain text uh, order. It's not the encrypted times uh, order. And the second part is basically saying, if I were to add ET1 plus ED1, what would be the result? So rather rather than, because my encryption scheme does not allow me to add, so I have to explicitly give it to you. That's basically this uh, other table, the one on the right. So once you have that, you just like figure out uh, this order in the sorted array. If like, if the first one is smaller, then you know that it's good. I mean, the result is true, response is true. So it, which is the case in our case because 13 is less than equal to 57, okay? Now, now what we have, so what we have seen so far is basically how would we encrypt the audit log to do join and how would we check uh, time comparison? If I take two times, how would I compare them? So now we are ready to actually look at the, how the compliance checking works. I'm not gonna go into too much details. I'm just gonna like, like gloss over it a little bit and show an example. So what we have seen so far, right? So the hospital, the audit log is in the cloud. Our algorithm is gonna run in the cloud, right? So hospital would time to time add new events to the log, like in bulk, like say it will uh, gather seven days of log, encrypt them and ship it to the cloud, right? And when it times, it comes time to audit, what we are gonna, like the, what the hospital is gonna do is give a constant encrypted policy, uh, some tokens, the tokens we talked about for checking, taking joints, that's the token, right? And the algorithm would uh, get also the audit log, which is the encrypted, and it's gonna tell you either there is a violation or there is no violation. Okay. Yeah, so it will give you the auditing result. So our auditing algorithm's uh, function, main function name is called irreduce. So it takes four arguments. The first is the encrypted audit log, because that's, that's the compliance you're checking and the constant encrypted policy, uh, so the tokens, because those are the ones you need for checking, uh, taking the join, and a substitution. 
So substitutions are basically, you can think of them as maps. It, it's a map of variables to their values. So I'll tell you, like, this will become more clear in a couple of slides, okay? And it returns either true or false. It returns true if the log satisfies the policy. Or it returns false when it, the log does not satisfy the policy. That's basically what it does. Questions? Okay. So formal specification, not difficult. I'm gonna run it through, it's very easy. So if your policy, it's basically, basically says a true. What would be the result? It's a true, right? Right. And the thing is like, if it's a predicate or a table name, what you want to do is like first get concrete values for the column names, like, and check whether it's in the log. Basically what you want to check, what it does is, what, remember the one of the examples we checked whether Bob is a doctor? That's, that's basically what is happening here. It's written a little weirdly, but that's basically what it's trying to say. The next, next one says, uh, if you have a conjunction of two policies, what we are gonna do is like, check the first one, check the first one, and then check the second one. If both of them are true, then we'll return true. So I don't know whether you can see that. Can you see that? mouse pointer in the screen. So th that's basically an and, right? So it's basically saying phi1 is a policy, phi2 is a policy, and this is an end of a policy. So what you do basically is recursively check the first policy and recursively check the second policy. If both of them are true, then you satisfy that, yeah, it's true. Else you say false. The most interesting part is thus, uh, this guy. This. So this guy basically says for all x, that satisfies G, uh, it also satisfies phi, right? So the first step is basically what you do is find out what satisfies G, like all, all substitutions for X that satisfies G, right? And you basically plug it into the phi and see whether phi is satisfied, okay? So now let's look at an example. So it's... So we're gonna start off with very simple example. So it basically says, every individual accessing the sensitive patient information is in the role of a doctor. So this is the represented policy in the logic. It basically says, for all principles P and all times T, if principle P does a sensitive action at time T, implies that P is a doctor. That's basically what the policy says. Say we have this log, right? So the sensitive access table and the role table. Uh, for ease of exposition, I'm just showing here the plain text value because if I show the encrypted value, it, it would make it would make no sense here. So, but believe me when I say this, th these are encrypted. When when they're uh, handled by the algorithm, they, these are encrypted each of the values. So this basically means that the employee J1. Uh, does a sensitive access at uh, August 2007 and employee is a doctor. Okay, so th this is. So the first thing what it does, it, it checks and remember this, each of them are encrypted with a separate key. So each column is encrypted with a separate key. So it's K1, so let's say it's K1, K2, K3, K4. Okay, so the first thing we are going to do is 
figure out who has done sensitive access. So that's basically what we have to figure out. So in our case, there are two guys, J1 and D1. And they accessed, accessed on one on August 2007, another one September 2007. So that would be our substitution. So it basically says, uh, it basically says for P, uh, for when P is J1 and the time is uh, August 2007, there is a sensitive access. That's basically a variable. It's a, the, the whole thing is a substitution. Okay. The next one basically says, there is another substitution basically says, by the way, B1 did a access to at August 2007. So now we have, what you have to say, check is that both J1 and B1 are doctors. So basically what we have to say is whether this thing actually appears in the role table, right? E means encryption, K is the key, right? Now, here's the interesting part. Remember how we said that the employee column in the role table is encrypted with K3, but this guy is K2, right? The, the value we got are K2. How can we search this? So this is where the token comes in. So we can use the token to change this with uh, key K3, right? If we are given that token, we can change it, right? That's, then we can search whether this entry actually appears in the in-role table. Okay. That's, that's basically how the algorithm works, works in a very simplistic fashion. Okay, so let's say we're going to talk a little bit about the security assurance. So in our security definition, we assume the policies are uh, publicly known because everybody, anybody can go up and look up HIPAA or GLBA, right? They can search a little bit online and figure out all these constants, like doctors, institutions, or 30 days. They can figure this out. So we assume that even the adversary knows this. So that's our uh, security definition takes care of this. And additionally, we say that these table names we talked about and their corresponding co column names, they are publicly known too. Okay, so they are publicly known. And the only requirement we have is that uh, adversary do not know encryption of a single value. So it should not know what should be the encryption of Omar with K1. So it should not know that value. As long as that value Omar is non-constant, it's not a constant. Okay, constant, it's, it's okay to know. But non-constant, it should not know. Okay, and our a definition is based on a novel form of audit log uh, equivalence. So we have a definition which basically says that these two logs are equivalent in some some notion. Let's not worry about that for the time being. Okay, and its security definition is basically an indistinguishability kind of result. It's basically you cannot the uh, adversary cannot distinguish between two things. So in our case, it's logs. Say Say uh, what we have is a log equivalence class. Basically what it means is each log in this class are equivalent. There is like the, in our definition of log equivalence, all of, all of the logs in this uh, equivalence class are equivalent. Now the security definition basically says that if you pick any, anyone randomly, right, and encrypt it and give it to the uh, adversary, 
and he can run any polynomial time algorithm. He cannot tell which which one of the log I gave gave him. He can just he can just figure out like oh this is uh, one of the logs from this equivalent class. So what makes this more interesting is for any plain text log, for any arbitrary plain text log, the number of elements in the equivalence class is infinity. So this size is infinity. So that's 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 so the thing is like he can just say that this is one of the infinite things doesn't know which one with like significant probability so this is these are all probabilistic results these are not absolute results so with high probability he cannot computationally differentiate between these things okay so now that we have uh, finished talking about uh, the security assurance let's talk a little bit about the implementation so we actually converted uh, majority of HIPAA and GLBA in our language, right? So we converted them in our language, the logic you saw, the scary one. Uh, so, and we implemented uh, two algorithms, one for that works with logs encrypted with Enumia Dev, the other one encrypted with Enumia KH, the keyed hash version. So we implemented both of them uh, with C++ and tested with uh, synthetically generated traces. We stored them in uh, SQLite uh, databases. So synthetic database in us, if the reason behind it, the reason behind it is like, no hospital would give us the log because they contain personal information, right? And the other thing I, I think, so I'm not absolutely sure about this. If I actually end up during the evaluation, catching a violation, I think I'm bound by law to report it. So they, they don't want to get into this uh, legal mess. So they, it's very ambivalent about sharing this kind of audit log. So I, I have to test with synthetic trick, uh, audit logs. So our baseline is the algorithm that works with plain text. So no, no encryption, right? That's our baseline. And these are the computational overhead. It basically says for Enumia debt, we have three to 9% of overhead. This is time overhead, not space. And for Enumia cage, we have 53 to 406%. So 406 is not a mistake. It's, it's the actual, it takes four, four times longer. Uh, the reason it takes four times longer is due to this, you do, we do this uh, key changing operation. Like we, using the token, we change the hashed keys. That's what it, uh, the cost is incurred, right? Now, let's see the, HIPAA uh, results. So the x-axis is number of privacy sensitive events in the audit log, right? And the y-axis is uh, the average execution time in milliseconds to check one, one guy, one privacy sensitive event, okay? So as you can see that if the log grows, the time grows, average time. And the maroon one is the execution time of the plain text algorithm, right? And the blue one is the deterministic portion. So if you see in the whole thing, they are very close together. So that's, that actually means very low overhead. And the black one is the KH one, which is more secure, but as you can see, they have a very high overhead. Uh, if you see the now, so this is the Gramm-Leach-Blaley Act. They have the similar trends. So the plain and the deterministic one are very close together, but the keyed hash approach has a humongous overhead, 
So like whatever you wanna like so whatever fits your application, you choose that. If you want more security, choose KH. If you want more efficiency, look for the deterministic encryption. To summarize, so what we did was presented two simple audit log encryption schemes uh, and enhanced an existing uh, auditing algorithm to handle encrypted audit logs. Talked a little bit about the security definition and finally empirically related that our approach is actually efficiently usable in practice. Okay. So thank you for your attention. I'll, I'll take any questions you might have. No questions? Yes. So what's, uh, so what's your storage overhead? Uh, mm. So do I have to push this guy? And you don't. Okay. So I, so for, for the KH, it's like around four times four times more space, a little bit over four times. Uh, on the uh, deterministic encryption, it's twice almost. So that's basically the space overhead we have. Any other questions? So, so the setting is you, you assume um, the data owner send the program to the cloud to execute? Yes, so the, the auditing algorithm also runs on the cloud. So it's it's, because other than that, you have to have this communication overhead. So that's that's basically the setting is. Any other questions? Okay. Okay. Cool. Thank you, Stephen.